1: Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees, now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
2: It's Wednesday, January the 6th, and this is the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. On today's programme, I'll examine impressive exchequer returns for 2015 with Austin Hughes of KBC Bank Ireland, Irish Times technology writer Kira O'Brien will join us later from Las Vegas, where she's attending the annual CES Consumer Electronics Jamboree. Would she be one to take a lift in a driverless car? But first to the public finances, we're only weeks away now from the general election, and a final set of tax returns for 2015 shows the Exchequer nearly balanced the books in cash terms last year. Austin Hughes, Chief Economist at KBC. We'll have a look soon at what these figures say about the position of the Irish economy right now. But what do they tell us about the progress made since the darkest days of the crash?
1: Well, they tell us we've come a very long way since those days. Uh, What we're seeing now is a return, as you say, to close to balance in the exchequer numbers, a little bit poorer in terms of the overall general government borrowing, but this is dramatically better than even the most optimistic might have envisaged uh, at, in 2009 or 2010. Remember, we went to a position where even if you exclude uh, the, the difficulties that led to the government putting significant money into the, the banking sector, you were seeing deficits of close to 12% of GDP in 2009 and 2010.
2: Had an absolute collapse in tax revenue after tax reached its peak in
1: 2007. The, and... Those deficits occurred because, as you say, taxes fell from 47 billion. Down to 31 billion, absolutely decimated. Uh, taxes falling by a third is something no one could have envisaged happening in any sort of modern developed economy. It's an extraordinary deterioration. And the turnaround we've seen in the interim is almost as remarkable because we're back now where taxes have almost recovered to their pre crisis levels. Uh, they're at 45.6 billion in 2015 and likely to be above the the pre-crisis peak in 2016. So we're back. Tax revenues are stronger. And that's telling us that the economy is doing better. It's telling us that we've taken an awful lot of pain in the interim. And it's telling us that the Irish economy is a good economy in terms of the famous bounce-back ability. But it's an extraordinary turnaround story. If we even take the situation when uh, the current coalition came into power, the first budget of Michael Noonan in 2012, it was envisaged then that the government would be borrowing around 3% of GDP in 2015. And what's the current borrowing? They've said now that it's going to be about 1.5% of GDP. Uh, That's quite a significant difference. Uh, And in that regard, it's because tax revenues are much stronger. Tax revenues are probably $2.5 billion higher in 2015 than was envisaged back in 2012. So they've come all the way back uh, from post-crisis. Uh, we also have gotten an incredibly lucky break in the form of much lower borrowing costs. Borrowing costs are probably... £3 lower than might have been envisaged in 2012 for 2015. That's because global interest rates are on the floor. Uh, And we have the European
2: Central Bank to to thank in some small measure for that at at the very least. We
1: have the European Central Bank and a global financial crisis. Um, The European Central Bank uh, is probably not going to raise interest rates on the basis of market expectations until maybe 2019. The inflation numbers that came out uh, yesterday show inflation still at 0.2%. They want to get it up to 2%. So interest rates have been much, much lower than might have been envisaged. That's been very good news for government borrowing. The Government could borrow the Irish government could borrow today for under one percent for ten years, so that 's been a really really important element in terms of the turnaround the strength of tax raising the strength of the economy, raising revenues, borrowing costs lower and I think you could say controlled public finances, but public spending is still around three, three and a half billion higher in 2015 than was envisaged in 2012. So the scale of cuts that were envisaged for public services haven't been quite as dramatic as had been feared at that time.
2: Well, I suppose the people dealing with, uh, you know, an acute sense of crisis in in hospitals and the health service in general would say that, uh, you know, that, that is a good thing because if you did have cuts... As foreseen all those years ago when the crisis was at its worst, well, then it's it's clear that the situation will be a lot worse on the
1: ground. It, it is really remarkable uh, to try and imagine the circumstances. If public spending was 3 billion odd lower than it is today, uh, I, I think we would struggle to have a functioning society or economy if we'd had cutbacks that draconian Uh, and i think because of borrowing costs because of the underlying resilience of the economy and because of various circumstances globally we've just been fortunate that we've avoided that it's been extraordinarily painful But we've made solid progress and we can look back now and sigh some relief at what might have been. That's not to say we're out of the woods quite yet, but we have come an awful long way. Let's drill
2: a little bit into the figures. What do the figures tell us about income tax? Because, I mean, after all, in 2015, there was a modest income tax cut and yet the figures show a big increase in the exchequer's return from that very important tax.
1: Yeah, income taxes are up 7%. They've become the most important source of revenue for the government. They uh, they are about 40% of all tax revenues and they have been the, the old reliable for the past couple of years. Uh, right through the period of clawback, uh, the, the, the burden of adjustment has fallen particularly heavy on income taxes. What's very important in These numbers are signs that with the economy recovering, with employment growing. And critically, as you mentioned, with some relief on the income tax side, we're actually seeing revenues rise. So initially, revenues rose because it was more painful. We all paid a lot more. Now revenues are rising because there are more people working and incomes are rising. So that really is the story of the turnaround in the economy. And it's very, very positive.
2: And to put this in context, 2015 was the year in which unemployment dropped below 10% for the first time for the, since the crash. And- and indeed, 9% of the figures yesterday on Tuesday show that the unemployment rate in December was
1: 8.8%. Uh, again, you know, the Martian economists looking at the story of the Irish economy over the last couple of years would... Would find it quite extraordinary. We have unemployment coming down from 15% to, as you say, 8.8% in the numbers yesterday. We have employment up dramatically uh, and we have the public finances uh, improving so significantly, all on foot of an economy that has really bounced back dramatically from what looked like a fatal problem in 2009.
2: And to look at income tax again, to go in a little bit deeper, it is the fact that when the economy started to turn around and people went back to work, a lot of people were going back to work on a part-time basis. However, the figures show us that the, in the most recent expansion of employment is in full-time employment and that's good for the taxman because people who are working full-time uh, are more likely to come into the tax net.
1: It's hugely good for the taxman full-time employment is up about 4% employment overall about 2.5% and it is that switch that people started in part-time are now getting full-time jobs and of course the, there is the critical element in which you move into a virtuous circle because people in full-time empo- employment are more confident about spending, about making other financial commitments. And companies that have gotten to that stage are seeing their markets improve, and they're likely to be hiring even more in the new year. What
2: else is going on in the tax figures? What about VAT, the the, the the consumption tax?
1: Well, VAT did really well as well. It's up 7% and that points towards a consumer who is coming back, partly because employment uh, is is turning and partly, again, because they sense that things have stopped getting worse for them and have started to get better. In that context, our own Consumer Sentiment Index reached a 10-year high in November. And that's critically because consumers not only see that the economy that they read about, that they hear about, but that may be a little bit remote from their own experience is improving. But in the past six to nine months, they're actually sensing it on the ground where it matters to them. The things have turned. They've stopped getting worse. And in many instances, they're getting better. And consumers, as a result, are starting to spend. You see that also in today's retail sales, staggering numbers for November uh, on the month uh, consumer spending, uh, retail sa- sales up 2.8 percent percent and up 9% on the year. Uh, that, again, telling you of a consumer who hasn't really spent for the last couple of years, who hasn't spent because either they've had no money or they've been too frightened about what might happen. And now there is pent-up demand in the economy. You see it also in the car sales numbers that came out earlier this week, 30% up, 125,000 registrations. So we're seeing the release of pent-up demand, and that, importantly, is is making things better across a wider element of the economy. These numbers are telling of a recovery that's not only confined to the multinational sector, that's not just confined to Dublin, but that's strengthening and spreading across the economy. There are still parts it has to reach, but it is broadening dramatically. And as we go into 2016, there are two factors.
2: One is that uh, some of the tax which would arise from people spending a lot more at Christmas time, that's not going to come in really until the new year. And it's also the case of the New Year is a big time for car sellers to uh, to sell new cars to people. Now I've been looking around for the first one six D car uh, on the streets of Dublin. I haven't seen one yet, but uh, I'm a. i am think most people are expecting to see uh, quite a good many of them.
1: Yeah, I I think certainly if, if you talk to anyone in the motor industry, they're very optimistic about the the current year, and it certainly would be consistent with all the other indicators on the economy. But it is that sense. That that the recovery is broadening, that people feel more confident that the improvement that they've seen over the last year is going to be sustained into this year. The VAT numbers, as you say, the December numbers that we saw for the month of December weren't particularly exciting, but that's because they relate to VAT for October. The retail sales numbers we saw today tell us November was very good, Black Friday, big spending and December seems to have been quite good even if it was affected by the weather. So all in all it points towards the 2016 tax revenues beginning on a very very strong note.
2: Now you mentioned that the uh, recovery is now transmitting beyond the multinational sector which was in the vanguard of the turnaround but there is an important element here in the public finances in 2015 because these figures are marked by a huge increase in corporate tax revenues. What's going going on there,
1: Austin? I, I think anyone answering that question would have to say, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, the, the Irish public finances are, are, are calculated and measured in ways that make them very difficult to, to, to really get to the details of what's going on in specific sectors. And the corporation tax numbers are, are the, the epitome of that at the moment. What we do know is that corporation taxes fell more heavily than other taxes during the downturn. Taxes overall fell by a third. Corporation taxes fell by nearly a half. They have recovered back now. They were 6.7 at their pre-crisis level, 6.7 billion corporation taxes. Uh, They fell to about 3.5. They're back now to 6.9 billion. best part of 7 billion. It's it's, it's quite close to the turnaround in taxes generally, but the the turnaround, the bounce, has been much more spectacular. I think there is a sense in which one element of this is that the economy has turned more strongly and that profits are are doing very well domestically. Profits, again, have turned up, I think they're up about 46% on the national accounts basis since the the very low point of the crisis. But more specifically, there are issues. We know that the multinational sector is doing particularly well. Exports did very well last year. There is also a sense that for various company-specific reasons corporates are paying more tax over the last while and that is one of the issues in terms of uh, the overall sustainability of these numbers where people say hang on a minute there could be an issue about that and we need to be cautious about it but I do think that corporation taxes in general are on an improving trend but let's not get carried away in the way we did with property taxes 10 years ago.
2: Now Michael Noonan is is citing a a letter he received from the chairman of the Revenue Commission which is Niall Cody uh, late last year, in which he said that the revenue believes that most of the uh, corporate tax income will be replicated again in 2016 and the government is targeting a corporate tax take of 6.6 billion? In other words, the government believes that all but 300 million of the huge haul in 2015 uh, will be repeated. Is that a reasonable assessment
1: to make at this time? There has to be some uncertainty about the estimates given what we've experienced in tax in corporation tax revenues over the last while. But I do think you know the, the revenue commissioners should be in a position to get a, a decent handle on what's happening uh, to companies. Certainly, I think profitability is improving. We're seeing buoyancy in exports. We also have favourable movements in exchange rates that will tend to boost uh, profits in euro terms. So all those elements make it reasonable to assume that corporation taxes will probably hold in. I I think it would be really crazy to believe that they'll rise by 50% again this year, but it doesn't seem unreasonable to suggest that they'll only fall slightly compared to 2015 in the context of an economy where in general tax revenues are on a strongly improving trajectory.
2: What about the, uh, the undercurrent in debate which suggests that some pretty large corporates resident in Ireland, are patriating intellectual property into their Irish operations, and this, in turn, is increasing the profitability of Irish units and, as a result, their tax payments into the Irish Exchequer.
1: There are, as I say, certainly these company-specific issues. I haven't seen as yet a very clear indication of how you can map from uh, the the generality of uh, such issues to a specific tax number, and that's a problem. But I think to the extent that this behaviour has changed, there's no reason to believe that it would change backward dramatically in 2016. And in that regard, I think it's right to be cautious, but we could be in for another pleasant surprise in 2016 in terms of the way corporation taxes develop.
2: Now, before we see how corporation tax develops over the year, there is the rather large issue of the looming general election, which is going to be called now within weeks, we believe. What's your assessment of where the what these figures mean for the election debate? It seems to me that you can't wake up of a morning without reading or hearing some news story about some nugget in some or other manifesto in which uh, particular parties are pointed to yet more concessions for taxpayers and the like.
1: Well, all economists are cynics at heart, so the the problem is I'd probably say that uh, when you see that the economy has more money floating around, people will say, well, what's my share going to be? So there is an expectation that pre-election promises will probably be ratcheted up a little bit by these sort of numbers, and that would be a little bit scary because... I'm optimistic about the economy. I think we've we've really come a long way and I think there's a solid future. But I, I do think it's also a delicate time where we have to be careful not to over egg what's happened in the economy and not to overpromise on the basis of an economy that that could fall short because of, you know global problems, or even just weakness, Brexit, there are any number of issues that could cause the economy to fall short. So I think that is a concern, and that I think is the main sort of implication uh, of these numbers. Let's be careful about what we wish. But if we look a little bit deeper into the numbers, they tell of an economy that's performing extraordinarily well. Tax revenues are up 10.5% because the economy probably grew in money terms by 11 or 12% last year. This is an economy that is actually in an altogether healthier place than Michael Noonan would have envisaged when he gave his first budget or when the coalition perhaps began to think about what would happen in this election back when they took office in 2011. I think the economy is in an altogether healthier place there is consumer and business confidence restored significantly. And I hope there's a little more realism about expectations as well.
2: What would you say to the notion that there is a, there's a, something of a balancing act underway? Because for a long time, while the figures were showing that the Irish economy was turning around, this was greeted with acute scepticism at the level of the people who were seeing none of it in their daily lives. It seems to me now that the narrative of recovery is accepted. People expect to get another tax concession this month. The minimum wage is rising. But at the same time, it's very difficult to maintain the line that caution is required given all of the risks and vulnerabilities that are out there.
1: Uh, I think there are problems in in terms of the economic statistics in Ireland all the time. The Irish economy reached its low point in 2009 and has been improving, you know, since early 2010, according to the GDP data. No business, no household feels that things have been getting better since then. I think, though, the improvement in employment, the sense that uh, budgets were putting money back in people's pockets rather than taking money out, and the encouragement of of, of a very fortuitously positive uh, international economy where the US and UK were doing very well, where the euro exchange rate was very competitive, uh, where interest rates were relatively low, that has finally translated into a sense that people actually feel, yeah, this recovery is for real, and I'm starting to see some benefits. So I I think there is that sense. The only element... I think most people have, is still a very painful experience of the last couple of years and an utter dread that we would repeat that. So my hope would be that the fear factor of a repeat uh, of the downturn would trump the, the sort of element uh, of of expectation that comes out of numbers such as these. I suppose, we're a bit like an operation transformation for the Irish economy. We've come a long way Our health has definitely improved dramatically and we're beginning to feel it. You know, after all the pain, when people are giving up the nice food or whatever, they don't see that in the pounds coming off or whatever in the early stages. Now people feel they're looking and feeling better in terms of the economy. The critical issue is, do we go back to the old lifestyle? Do we start again on the junk foods and whatever? And that's the critical issue people
2: I don't think anyone ever fitted into skinny jeans in the first week in, in January. Austin, as you look ahead to the year, what's what's the biggest single risk on the horizon for Ireland? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty positive outlook, but the world out there is uh, extremely volatile and there, there are huge uncertainties.
1: Well, there are any number of risks. I, I think in the classic sort of economic format, that there are the risks of a slowdown in China that makes the global outlook even poorer. Uh, I, I think uh, geopolitical risk, which we are trying as economists to analyse what the implications of new things every day Uh, today it's what happens in terms of North Korea, you know, and trying to assess if one of these is actually going to make a huge, huge difference to the economic outlook in the coming year is very difficult. But there are certainly serious geopolitical risks that could threaten the global economy in a way that would have material impact on Ireland. And then there are the other issues. there's, There's Brexit and the concerns about that. And what the uncertainty, I think, is a key element... In that regard, that's a risk for the Irish economy. Uh, So all those are elements. And finally, even in the run-up to the election here and the possibility of an uncertain outcome, uh, maybe a rerun, several elections like we had back in the bad old days, all those elements will mean that people may actually stand back from spending. Companies may stand back from hiring and from investing. So there are plenty of risks in the global environment. It's an altogether more uncertain element. But my hope is that the sort of momentum that we now see and the lessons that hopefully we've learned also through a very painful period in recent years mean that we actually can navigate this uncertain environment in the coming year.
2: Austin Hughes of KBC Bank, thanks a million for coming in.
1: At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
2: Now it's the first week in the year. Most people are back in work. And for Kira O'Brien, it's time to go to Nevada for the CES Consumer Electronics Show, which is a jamboree of uh, all kinds of gadgetry and a highlight on the annual calendar of all techies. Kira, what's it like over there and what's the atmosphere?
0: Well, at the moment, things are just starting to kick off. The show officially opens today. So people have been, in in the run-ups the last couple of days, people have been making their announcements, trying to get their products out there before, I suppose, the deluge of news hits. Really, this year what we're looking at is it's more of an evolution than a revolution. A lot of the stuff that we've seen so far has been is the same themes as last year. So uh, drones are big, wearable technology, uh, lots of stuff on uh, ultra high definition TVs, which is the, the standard that obviously the manufacturers want you to adopt because it would mean you'll have to buy a whole new TV. Um, and really, uh, it, it's it's just making those a little bit more approachable, a little bit more useful. I mean, it, it, I don't and know how, how, really how big an event
2: to, is this, Kira.
0: Well, it's getting bigger every year. Um, there's over 3,600 um, exhibitors at the, the event. And what they did last year was they split it into Tech East and Tech West. Um, one side of things was uh, the uh, the startups. And then down in the main hall, the main Las Vegas convention center, you had all the usual guys. You'd have the, like, the Samsung, Panasonic, and you'd have lots of small companies in there too. But they had developed this Eureka Park uh, Side of things that meant smaller companies that probably wouldn't be able to afford to get into the main hall by themselves could could go there and they could exhibit and people could see what they were about and it, it's actually where you find some of the more interesting things. Um, this year they've added a whole new uh, a whole new kind of area where it's it's in another one of the casino hotel resorts or, uh, resorts and what they've done is they've brought in kind of communications and marketing that kind of thing so it's expanding. Year after year, uh, it's it's getting to the point where uh, you really do need the, the full week to actually see everything that's on off. And even then, you, you'll still find a hall that you found that you didn't realise was there to start with.
2: Now, you mentioned drones and wearable technology and newfangled TVs. Uh, wh- wh- what exactly is to be seen at the level of drones? There's a huge amount of talk these days about the advances in this kind of technology.
0: Well. Parrot, uh, which is one of the companies that's been doing drones for a while, with the AR drone, uh, they've announced a um, new fixed-wing drone. It's, it's basically there's, there's a lot of people want to get involved in this side of things, and um, the robotics thing is really interesting. Uh, you, there was a, a modular robotics kit on display at CES Unveiled which basically would allow you to build your very own robot. Um, it's made by a company called 0 um, That's Z-I-R-O, not Z-E-R-O. So you can basically build your own robot in about 30 minutes, program it and, and then with a smart glove you can basically tell it what to do, control it. Um, another company what, that what, what has got the, a lot
2: of... Po- what would that robot do if you asked it? Or what could you uh, well, ask it to do? you can
0: program it. I think you can program it to do to be honest I think it, 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 this kind of thing is only limited by first of all your own expertise and then your imagination um obviously it's not going to uh it's not going to be quite on the 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 Star Wars you know home help kind of thing but it gives you a good introduction to how these things work um i mean one of actually speaking of star wars one of my favorite things that i've seen over the last couple of months and that actually made a reappearance at ces unveiled was um zero and um, they created a, a robot that we actually did a review of um it's, it's called bd8 it's a character in star wars but what they did at, at ces was they unveiled uh, a new band um which allows you to control Sphero by gestures. So if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, obviously the, the, the Jedi have these mind control techniques and uh, use the Force to move things around. And this, the Force band is actually basically what you can do uh, with Sphero. You, you basically make a gesture and Sphero will follow what you tell it to do. So it's taken it that little step closer to, I suppose, your, your childhood dream of being a Jedi knight.
2: What kind of applications are now possible in day-to-day life, Kira?
0: Well, there's already some robots in the home. I have a robot Hoover at home that I can program and uh, allow it to do my vacuum cleaning while I'm out, so I don't have to do it. Um, Dyson is actually bringing out its own robot Hoover this year. It's already available in Japan, but it should hit Europe this year. And that one can be controlled via an app. Uh, you see, your home is getting smarter. So it's not just about having, say, a robot to uh, to do your washing or to, to pick up at you or do your hoovering. It's about your home communicating. So this idea of the connected home, it's been something that's been building for the past few years. And at CES this year, we're really seeing, um, I suppose, the maturity of it, um, Samsung in particular, what they decided to do was, Samsung um, bought smart things a while back and they are involved in all this kind of connected home stuff, so connected lights and uh, locks and cameras, so it all works together. Um, What Samsung did was they've decided to make the TV the hub of your home. Um, You can plug up a small kind of dongle into some of their new TVs and it, effectively makes your TV the controller for everything. So I, I suppose my favourite application for this would be you have security cameras outside your house. You see some someone coming you don't really want to speak to. You can control your lights, your TV, your door locks. You can lock the door, the whole lot, directly from your TV um, and just pretend you're not home. Obviously, Very good. That, we wouldn't do that to too many people. But <laughs> there's also stuff like the fridge. Um, LG uh, announced smart fridge so did samsung samsung's smart fridge it's basically it's called a family hub fridge and uh what it is is the idea of when you were younger maybe you had your your drawings pinned to the front of the uh, front of the fridge you had uh, reminders pinned to the front of it and according to samsung at least a lot of that has gone by the wayside and the fridge is now something just that you use to store your food but they say why should it be just this um and what they've done is they've built in um, an lcd display into the front of the fridge so you can send your reminders through an app to the fridge so if you're out and you need to pick up you want somebody to pick up milk you can stick a reminder on the fridge through the app you can send uh, pictures to the fridge but it also has a very kind of it's a very clever thing on the inside where if you um if you have the app, you can log into your fridge and see what's in your fridge. So if you're out shopping, you don't keep buying food. You already have, um, you can just basically keep an eye on everything from there. And, and we're talking about it's not just about fridges; it's about connected washing machines, which LG announced. Uh, it's about smarter ovens that you can communicate with while you're away from the house. So I'm I'm awful for doing it. I check the house three or four times before I leave because I'm always convinced I've left the oven on. This would actually solve that.
2: Now, Kira, you said that this is a, a CES. Uh, electronic show characterised by evolution more than revolution, but there has been a lot of talk about driverless cars and electronic cars and all the rest of it over there. Um, what uh, what have you seen with your own eyes?
0: Um, well, the... I suppose that the one that's making all the, the waves at the moment is the Faraday uh, concept car. It's an electrical car that was announced on Monday. Now, I haven't actually laid hands on it myself because, you know, for various reasons the show only opens today. Um, but... What they have shown off is it's it's basically modular design for an electrical car. And, and the problem at the moment is obviously um, when you're making cars, you make them for specific, make specific sizes, specific chassis. And with electrical cars in particular, the batteries have to be, um, the batteries have to be a certain size for a certain car. And if you want to make it a different type of car, the battery has to be different. Um, what these guys are... are Proposing, and they, they say they'll get their first car. I think before the end of 2017, it's a modular chassis, and it's a modular battery. So instead of having like a one battery block, it's strings of batteries, and you can add and take away depending on what type of car, what power you want, what size of car, and then the the, the chassis works in a similar way. It's 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 all kind of um, I wouldn't say clickable, but it's it, it's all Um And basically, the the, the concept car they showed off got a lot of attention because it looked like a Batmobile. Um, It was a very futuristic-looking car. Probably not practical for too many people because it was a single-seater, but it looked good. And I suppose it's kind of a a shot uh, to their competitors um, about what they're capable of. Now, whether or not they deliver, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Tesla, obviously, would be their biggest uh, competitor because they're the ones who are making all the waves at the moment in electrical cars. Uh, but, you know, the, the the other manufacturers are also going down that line as well. I mean, Ford announced it's got ma- major plans for um, I think it's 20 electrical cars in the next couple of years. Uh, everybody's been working on autonomous cars. Now, there's, obviously, there's different degrees of this. I mean, to a certain extent, we already have um, a semi-autonomous elements to cars. I mean, if you have park assist in your car, technically your car has those, the, the, that kind of capability. Um, the idea that we will have driverless cars on the roads, obviously that's something that has been around for a couple of years. It's becoming a bit more feasible, but obviously there's still some kinks they have to work out and there's still a lot of development uh, needed there and there's things they have to work out. Like if, well, there's things
2: well, there's only one question that arises here, Kira, and that is that if you were invited to a trip to a casino tonight in a driverless car, would you take the lift?
0: Um, I probably would have to say no. Though, <laughs> so in fairness, you with know, the way Vegas is at the moment, obviously CES, there are thousands and thousands of people at CES, and chances of you actually getting any kind of speed in a driverless car—it's very, very slim. Given that you know the strip is backed up with a. With people trying to get to and from different events.
2: Listeners should be aware that Kira O'Brien would prefer a chauffeur or a taxi driver or to uh, drive herself. Kira O'Brien in Las Vegas, thank you very much. And uh, thank you again to Austin Hughes of KBC, who was with us earlier. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Tune in again.